one other point you made that I'd, I'd love to just expand on a little bit is human capital. You know, you talked about is your payroll and expense are these people that you're investing in? And my family's a huge believer in personal development. And, you know, I talk about money mindset all the time on my podcast. You've got to develop the right mindset because you can't outgrow or outperform your own limitations in your mind as far as people ask, how do you make so much money? How do you become a millionaire? How do you become financially free? Those things aren't just about having a business that produces income. It's about what's in your head, right? What's what's in between the ears and just those shifts. And I know you've, you've probably done this with many of your clients. You make that shift with them where they can see the light at the end of the tunnel and, and that that strategy to get there. And then all of a sudden you start to see things happen and, and uh, the wealth just comes. It's just abundant. Welcome. You are listening to the Hero of the Hour podcast, the show dedicated to empowering you to take financial freedom into your own hands. Through expert interviews with decades of experience, this show will give you not only the tactical strategies of what's working in business, but the appropriate mindsets to master your financial future and build generational wealth. Heroes and entrepreneurs operate with a similar anything-is-possible mentality, and that is exactly what our show is about. Your host is none other than Mark B. Murphy, CEO of Northeast Private Client Group and best-selling author of three books, all dedicated to helping others plan for generational wealth. He and his team are on a mission to share their knowledge and techniques so that others can enjoy a life of financial security and freedom. Get ready to be inspired to create the life of your dreams. Let's go. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Hero of the Hour podcast. Today, we're joined by Murray Miller, a financial strategist, educator, entrepreneur, and the founder of the Family Business Podcast. But his expertise goes far beyond these titles. Murray is also an author and an inspiring speaker. Murray's philosophy is simple but transformative. A recurring income is the lifeblood of a freedom lifestyle. He specializes in the art of balancing the timing of business ventures with the implementation of strategic wealth plans. His unique approach breathes life into each of his clients' endeavors, creating a financial fortress that safeguards not only them, but their families as well. In today's episode, we'll dive deep into Murray's proven system for developing a recurring income stream and crafting a tax advantage residual wealth strategy. But that's not all. Murray Miller will also share his personal definition of a hero. Someone who embodies the willingness to do the right thing, even when it might not serve their own best interests. It's an inspiring perspective that's bound to resonate with our listeners. Throughout the episode, you'll discover the eight major sources of residual income, the exciting future of the Family Business Podcast, and Murray's exceptional coaching techniques for helping people bounce back from setbacks. Enjoy the show. Welcome, everybody. I'm Mark Murphy, the founder and CEO of Northeast Private Client Group. I'm here today with... uh, with Murray Miller, uh, an entrepreneur's entrepreneur. First of all, Murray, welcome to the Hero of the Hour podcast. Thanks for having me, Mark. This is awesome. You know, Murray, I always start, you know, before we get into into it, you know, one of the reasons I call this the Hero of the Hour podcast is I, I always uh, like to have people on that are either my personal heroes or are heroes to other people. 
Tell me a little about either about what a hero means to you or, or who are some of the heroes uh, in your life? You know, I, I knew you were going to ask me this question because of the name of your podcast. So I thought about it a little bit. And the best thing that I can come up with uh, as far as a hero for me is someone that actually does the right thing, even when it's not in their own best interest. And I think in business, it's my it's been my guiding light. And I think in life, it makes sense as well. So yeah, I think when you're, you're doing something selflessly for other people or in business and uh, not necessarily taking care of yourself first, I can relate to that. So that I would say that describes um, heroism for me. I want to read this because I don't want to get it right. But I think, I think anybody who knows you would describe you as a financial coach. And uh, you know, obviously, I, uh, you have your own podcast as, as well. You know, about the you know about the family business because you really truly do have a family business. But I want to I want to read the hats that you wear. You're a financial strategist. You're an entrepreneur. You're an author. You're a speaker. You're a business coach, and and, and as I mentioned, the host of the Family Business Podcast. And and I know your expertise lies in uh, recognizing the importance of diversifying income streams. I think that's something that's that's critical to everybody. Love to hear your thoughts on that. Well, you know, they say that the average person that has become a millionaire, self-made, uh, has more than seven streams of income. I don't know if that's true or not. That's why I've read that. And it's been more places than, than I can shake a stick at. But the truth is, if one thing is not working for you, it's always good to have a backup plan. So for people that have a nine to five or, you know, have a job with a salary, um, regardless of the hours that they work, it's always a good idea because of the, the environment that we're in to have something else that is working for you, especially something that has a residual component to it so that you can make money, not just when you're working, but also when you're not working or when you're sleeping, so to speak. Um, so yeah, it's always been, for me, uh, one of the things that drives our podcast is residual income. I, I wrote an ebook you know, that is entitled The Eight Sources of Residual Income. And those are the eight major sources. There's many more than that today. I mean, just look at our kids, right? Uh, Generation Y, Z, the millennials, these guys, they're not following the path that we followed or our parents followed as far as, you know, the the 40 year plan with the, you know, working 40 hours a week. That's just not the deal anymore. So there are so many things we can do with the intervention of the Internet and, uh, you know, AI and all the things that are happening today that can create side hustles and additional income for us that could be synergistic with what we do in our nine to five. Um, so yeah, I'm all about uh, having multiple streams of income, and I and I've coached many people in that area. There's different ways to do it, and like I said, uh, at least eight major sources, but many other uh, sub sources of income as well that you can utilize. Well, I, I think the question when they beg, there's two questions that come from that response. The first is, I agree that most people are not spending 40 years with one company, working 40 hours a week in an office. What do you think it looks like now, and what do you think it's going to look like for? our kids and grandkids, uh, you know, five or six or eight or 10 years from now? Exactly. You know, the, it's a good question. I mean, the the truth of the matter is, is I see that a lot of people in, in our category, you know, I'm a baby boomer and I consider myself, you know, somewhat up to date on technology. But as far as I'm concerned, um, you know, I watch people like my daughter, who's, uh, you know, 29, my son, who's 22 and just getting ready to you know, go out into the world. They've already started businesses, numerous businesses, online businesses, uh, you know, that we never could do or did do when we were young. I mean, when we were young, for me, multiple streams of income was 
shoveling driveways and, and mowing lawns and, you know, delivering newspapers. The, those things are, you know, they're not the same anymore, right? So I, I do see that uh, the workforce is changing. Uh, obviously, artificial intelligence is going to change everything. It's going to change the game, especially right now for people like us, for, for marketing and for purposes that um, help us with our business. And I see that that's going to get nothing but better over the next few years. I mean, the intelligence that we're seeing now just with ChatGBT is ridiculous. And you can see, you know, a year from now, it won't look anything like what it looks like right now. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be a, a lot different than what we're used to seeing as far as our workforce is concerned. You know, we uh, we we we've a very similar philosophy and we believe there's only two asset classes, even though we know there's dozens. And we call them either, you know, paychecks or either free capital or play checks. And so we want our clients to have a series of assets that will give them a guaranteed or highly reliable stream of income. And then we want to have another series of assets where you can spend it, you can save it, you can give it away. But the important thing is it will not be responsible for producing income for your family. But we th I still think there's one more level. We want people to have earned income, if not in perpetuity, certainly beyond normal retirement age. You know, and I, I think one of the mistakes so many businesses have is I think a lot of businesses get sold too prematurely. And uh, you know, they see that big, shiny number. But by the time they pay off the debt, they pay the taxes, and then they have to put that capital to work. They might have been better off holding, you know, at least a piece of that company, if not all of it. Um, not in every case. I think I think every case is unique and individual. But uh, it's it's amazing to me how many people put forty years in a business and build it up so it's very successful, and then sell it. And by the time they're left, you know, with with the net number that all the glitters that let's say is not gold. You want to share with our viewers, our listeners, some of the eight strategies you have, or you know, any of the ones you think that would that that people really ought to know from your book. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I will tell you for, you know, just to comment on what you had just said, um, I've sold several businesses and I agree with you. You know, there is there is a right time to sell and there are right partners to sell to. Um, and all those things have to be considered. So, you know, the fact that you're an expert in that area is amazing because most people, let's face it, most people don't sell their businesses because they are their business and it doesn't run without them. There's no systems behind it and, and it doesn't have any kind of a residual component to it. It's just an individual that does the business and, and drives everything. So for those lucky ones that can sell a business, they have to follow that strategy that you just talked about for sure. As far as the eight sources, I mean, the, one of the big ones that I know you'll relate to is real estate. Obviously, you know, if you can if you can get yourself in a situation that you're leveraged with rental income, that's going to create a nice residual income for you. Obviously, it's 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 a little higher risk than some of the other ones that I talk about because you've got to come up with some capital in most cases and you got you've got to be able to maintain the properties. But yes, you can you can certainly create a nice residual income with that. We also talk about, you know, online, you know, affiliate marketing, network marketing. These are lower cost ways of getting involved in a residual income business, but you've got to acquire the people skills necessary and the tenacity to keep going when it just it, those those businesses tend to build slowly. And then over a period of time, you can build up to something that becomes much more substantial. Those are things that require expertise and your participation. And, and then, of course, there's businesses that require your money. And if you have money, you can put them in the right places and have the money to work for you, like in dividend paying stocks or in, um, you know, private placement, life insurance, things of that nature that can actually help you build a residual income so you can make your money make money for you. Um, 
Yeah. Would you agree with that? Those are some of the ways that you talk about? No, absolutely. I think it's, it also takes a great deal of discipline for people. I think that one of the roles you so, uh, that is so needed or and why your company is successful. It's one thing to have the the knowledge and the ability to go do that, which not not that many people have. But then even people with the knowledge, they know what they need to do, but they need somebody that not only provides them the direction, but they also need to provide them some uh, cr- and some creativity. But they also need to provide them some companionship along the way on the journey. I think the you know the the you know very few people can be do it yourselfers, particularly in a, in a world where the world's continuing to get disrupted all the time. Because, uh, you know, a lot of the, you know, you know, as an example, you know, I think when we were kids, you know, I remember thinking that if you went into one of the best towns in any city in America and they said, oh, you know, a retail location in this town never comes up, you know, probably comes up every 10 years. So if one comes available and you need a retail space, you ought to grab that space. And now some of the best towns in America look like Mogadishu. You know, they're boarded up there. They're there. So, if, you know, if we, you know, if we were kids and wanted to own retail space or office space now, or even, you know, now, you know, every company that I see, you know, you, talk, you mentioned real estate before, most of the companies that we have are in leases, but the majority of them, when they renew their leases, are going to renew their lease for a smaller space. If they have a million square feet, they might have 200,000 square feet, you know, once the lease expires. And right. uh you know, we even even in our concept, you know, having all the senior people have their own private offices. You know, we're, we're even even us are even even discussing hoteling with more Zoom rooms and more conference rooms and less private office spaces. So I think the world keeps evolving. And and you know, I I think that the 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 line I like to use is, you know, I, I'm I'm never I'm not afraid to be different. I'm afraid to be the same. Mm. And 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 I think that that's uh, something that that. Uh, you know, that, that we try to teach our, our our clients. You use the word side hustle a lot in your business. Uh, that's a you know, Elisa uses that term ter- term son. What is a side hustle? I mean, I, I know what a side hustle is because I live with Lisa DeMeo, but uh, that that's a term that I've only heard from you and from her. So tell me what a side hustle is. It really, it really is just a a modern way of saying you know a second thing that you do outside of your normal nine to five, uh, your normal business or your normal um, career. Um, and it's something that you put effort into. Obviously, hustling is 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 something that you know most entrepreneurs are very familiar with. You know, and to speak, to, I just wanted to speak to what you said just a, a minute ago about retail space because it's isn't it interesting how we've seen that shift? I mean, I, I live my uh, primary residence is in Massachusetts, and not too far from where I live in Foxborough, there's a giant mall. And it's been just getting worse and worse year after year with less and less people visiting it until finally, guess what? Someone came along and bought the entire mall and turning it into a giant warehouse, little company called Amazon. I've, heard, I've, heard, right? I've heard of them. I've heard of Amazon. <laughs> it's it's changed the game, right? It's completely changed the game. So I, I see where you're going with the retail space for, for sure. Um, and that's changing the real estate game. Uh, even the company that Lisa and uh, my wife, and I are involved in with Isogenics. That company, I have to tell you, they have a huge building out in Utah that is mostly abandoned during the week because they've gone on to a different style um, of amount of people that have to come in from a corporate standpoint. Most people are working from home now. I mean, that's not unique for Isogenics. That's every every major company is dealing with that with office space. Um, and I'm sure it's happening. You know, you're you're right in the heart of everything down in Big Apple, right? So I'm sure everything's uh, you know more evident to you than it is to most people around the country that don't live in a big city. I'm still not convinced. You know, I, I still want to see how this shake shakes out. I, I think that clearly the 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 
the needle has moved in that I don't think everyone's going to be working five days a week from the from the office. And I think with technology that had already started pre-COVID. Right. But I but I also think that depending on the business and the culture of your business, that that ultimately people that own businesses are not growing businesses, they're growing people. You know, like one of my huge pet peeves, Marie, is, is when someone says, when I talk to a business owner, they go, you know, my big, big biggest expense is payroll. My biggest expense is people. And I'm thinking, well, if they're an expense, you should fire them. I said, but if they're an investment that you should nurture and grow them and that I think that, you know, as long as you can get a four or five to one return on your money, I think you should be be growing everything, including people. But that's that's sort of a pet peeve of mine. And, and the thing I worry about with uh, all of this virtual work is, can you really develop? Is it? Is it? You're going to have to come up with other strategies to build the culture of your organization when everybody's working from their kitchen or from their dining room table, uh, and you don't have a lot of face to face. Again, I, the the jury is still out because Zoom has been very effective for us as a, as not only a, a communication device but a transportation device. But mm. I also know that a lot of my relationships are five, ten, twenty, thirty years old. And so when you have a 30-year-old relationship, it's okay to look at each other over the Zoom because you know each other very well, or you have other interactions. I wonder if this is the first time you're meeting somebody, and if you're not a baby boomer like we are, if you're a 23-year-old kid or a 28-year-old kid, do you have the ability and the skill sets to be able to you know, create, instead of transactional relationships, can you cre- create transformational relationships? Yeah. No, I couldn't agree with you more. As a matter of fact, after this podcast, I'm getting on the phone on the on a Zoom call with three other individuals. One of them's in Boston. I'm in Huntington Beach, California, right now. One of them's in New Jersey. One of them's in Florida. We're meeting for the first time. We're having a virtual meeting. We're talking about a a, a tremendous uh, net worth that we're working with this one individual, putting together a, um, a very um, complicated um, insurance product for him and. We're doing it all, you know, we don't have to, four of us don't have to get on a plane and meet in a room, right? We're doing it all over Zoom. That's just normal nowadays. And it's, uh, I think people trust it. You can record it. There's, you know, information you can go back on. You can, you can exchange documents. So obviously that's, that's huge. I also wrote down what you said. I mean, it's not just, uh, you know, it's not just about communication. It's about transportation, which is, which is my point. So I think that everything is changing there. One other point you made that I'd, I'd love to just expand on a little bit is human capital. You know, you talked about is your payroll an expense or are these people that you're investing in? And my family's a huge believer in personal development. And, you know, I talk about money mindset all the time on my podcast. You've got to develop the right mindset because you can't outgrow or outperform your own limitations in your mind as far as people ask, how do you make so much money? How do you become a millionaire? How do you become financially free? Those things aren't just about having a business that produces income. It's about what's in your head, right? What's what's in between the years and just those shifts. And I know you've, you've probably done this with many of your clients. You make that shift with them where they can see the light at the end of the tunnel and, and that that strategy to get there. And then all of a sudden you start to see things happen and, and uh, the wealth just comes. It's just abundant. Have you noticed that life is getting more and more expensive? From grocery prices to real estate values, everywhere you turn, prices seem to be skyrocketing. Well, Mark has dedicated decades of his career and life to serving entrepreneurs and professionals to build real wealth, and in most cases, multi-generational wealth. The reality is, we all have to navigate turbulent times in this economy, but the difference will be for those that have a roadmap and a customized plan for building wealth. 
That's why, as a listener to this podcast, we are so excited to share with you first access to Mark's newest book, The Ultimate Investment, a roadmap to grow your business and build multi-generational wealth. When you access this book, you'll discover how to know when you're working a job instead of a business. That hard work isn't all about hours put in. This will make you more productive. Why you need to live with your back against a wall. How to surround yourself with the right people who support your vision. And so much more. Go to www.markbmurphy.com forward slash book to get access now. Once again, go to www.markbmurphy.com forward slash book. And now, back to the show. As somebody who's a fellow, I, I always say, you know, my goal of every podcast I have is to finish the podcast. I, I'm not a professional podcast host. I'm, I'm just somebody who knows how to take care of people. That's what I think my unique ability is. You started a podcast not that long ago, only three or four, you know, three or four years ago, and it's been very, very successful. Where do you see podcasts morphing? You know, they were state of the art, let's call it 10 years ago, where, you know, only, you know, there were not a lot of them. Now there's, there's many more of them. Where do you think the podcast industry is going and and what do you think your podcast, how is that going to continue to change? Like, I know one of the things you shared with me was, you know, you, you instead of having these long, you know, hour long podcasts, you keep them a lot, a lot crisper, a lot sharper and a lot, a lot shorter. Give me your thoughts about where your podcast is going long term. It's a great question. You know, um, I've seen more and more major celebrity hosts of maybe news hours, um, you know, on the big uh, cable TV stations leave their position making anywhere from $5 million to $15 million a year and, and start a podcast. What, I mean, follow the money, right? Where, where is this going? That people like to be free to do and say what they want without being edited. And they, I mean, we're all about freedom of speech, right? So people want to hear what people are saying. Some podcasts are, are, are raw and there's a lot of opinions out there that we know of. Um, so I see the podcast being uh, a freedom tool for people that want to share their opinions and have guests on that have controversial opinions um, so that they can debate these things. And they 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 tend to, uh, you know, go into a direction that can easily be monetized if that's what the goal is of the podcast, because if you're getting a lot of views, you know, it's all about eyeballs. People are going to want to advertise on your channel. And you can promote other products and things of that nature. Now, I have never done that. And, and by the way, my podcast is only two years old. It's not three or four years old yet. It's only two years old. Um, we've got a great audience. Um, you know, we've got a great group of listeners. They're very um, proactive as far as getting back in touch with me and, and letting me know things that, that uh, they want to hear or, or things that they didn't understand that they like expansion on. So I've got an interactive community that's partially due to social media and partially due to the podcast. But um, right now, for me, it's just a tool to um, have a lot of information to share with people that I think that they're not going to have otherwise. Um, I've always just always tried to lay out the truth and, and just be very transparent in what I'm talking about. And if I don't understand something completely myself, I'll say that and I'll look into it. I'll research it and I'll find out more. So I see I see the podcast just being a, a means to uh, to reach people that are of, of the same like and mind that I have and going in that direction, you know, healthy people that are trying to improve their lives, that want to be financially fit and uh, want to live, uh, you know, a life of uh, abundance. And I love attracting that community and interacting with that community. So I'll continue on that path. 
One of the things I've I've heard you talk about is you've developed some strategies to overcome both emotional and physical drain while you're improving your finances. Uh, I, I care to comment on that? Well, for me, I mean, it's as simple as this. For me, about 10 years ago, I put away the frying pan and I took out a blender <laughs> and I started really taking control of my nutrition, which made a huge difference for me because as I was building my business, I had a college funding practice for uh, the better part of two decades. And when I was building that on a national scale, I was jumping on planes, I was meeting advisors, I was meeting with clients, I was meeting with guidance counselors, building that high school workshop doing all these things that really required me to be on a plane a lot and travel. And and I obviously took people out to lunch and dinner and entertained and things of that nature. And with all that, unwanted weight came on and my energy level went down and I wasn't eating right. And, and, and I felt like I was getting old. So when I made that shift to really concentrate on my nutrition, it gave me the energy that I needed in order to live a life that was free of, uh, you know, all of those roadblocks, if you will, that happen when you don't have energy, because you make choices without energy that are usually detrimental to your health and to your energy and, and that being that you have. Yeah, I, I think that's one of the benefits of COVID uh, is that when you're, when you're on the, you know, the, I, I was the, the road warrior prior to COVID. Now I have some of the you know younger guys doing more of the traveling now and COVID quite frankly has eliminated a lot of traveling because people are very comfortable seeing me seeing on Zoom. You don't have to fly to from New York to California to have a meeting or to have dinner, but uh, I, I I remember that you know you, you know you, you you two things one is you're out three or four nights a week, and it's New Year's Eve for that person you know so they want to have two martinis and a bottomless glass of red wine and and they always take you to the best steakhouse in town and uh, you know you, you know you don't need a coach you need a, a cardiologist you know on your team you know, <laughs> you know or uh, or somebody from the Betty Ford clinic cuz you know that you know and right you know, it's it's so funny i've i spent years or probably the last 10 or 15 years learning how to say hey is tonight we're going to have a drink or two or uh, or is tonight i'm going to just drink club soda and you know try to make sure the client's comfortable or or just have that uh, bottomless glass of red wine that turns into just one red wine because you know, when you're having rounds of drinks, another round, another round, another round. And there are some people, quite frankly, get a little uncomfortable when they're drinking and you're not drinking. And so I, you know, I just got comfortable where, you know, with, you know, with, you know, if I, if I you and I had dinner and I wasn't drinking, I'd say, Hey, you know, I'm trying to lose some weight today. I've, you know, would you, would you mind if I drank some iced tea or club soda today? Would that bother you? And hopefully, you know, hopefully you'd say no, but uh, you know, there's some, some folks it's a, uh, you know, it, was, it was amazing. And they, you know, and not only they want to go to a steak dinner and drink, then they want to go out for drinks after the drinks or, you know, who knows where they'd want to go. So I, uh, right. I, uh, I actually, I actually think that's one of like the life's blessings of not tra having to travel. Um, that's, yeah, that's true. That, that's one of the positives. I mean, there are some negatives as well too, because I, I do think, you know, that, in that, that so much of what I think my kids, and you mentioned your kids are 29 and 22. I've got five kids between 16 and 24. I think they spend so much time on video games rather than in and on their phones instead of interaction that I wonder if they understand in business where the magic happens, that relationships are important and that sometimes it's the magic that happens. It never happens in the meeting. It happens after the meeting or there's a connection that comes that is the transformational piece that doesn't come in the formal part of the presentation. And, and I, I find that even some of my younger uh, associates and partners I think they get it, but they have not experienced it because they didn't grow in it, grow up in it like you and I did. 
I wouldn't, I wouldn't argue that at all. Uh, I mean, I love in-person meetings, Mark, because it gives me the opportunity to see the reaction. And sometimes things are said, you know, after the meeting's over, like you said, when you're, when you're walking out the door or, or getting ready to leave, that you pick up on and you say, okay, now I understand this person's personality, where they were coming from more than you can do on a Zoom meeting. Because when the Zoom meeting ends, you don't have that interaction. So there, there's definitely, a, you know, flying New York to LA to have that dinner sometimes is a good thing. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm torn between the the personal meetings and the Zoom meetings. I think efficiency wise, obviously, uh, you know, online is going to be hands down the winner, but uh, it doesn't replace uh, human interaction. And I think that's what happened during during the pandemic, as you know, as well as anyone else. Uh, that's what people missed. They they missed talking to people and having interaction and that human connection that uh, that is so important that we found out over the two years that we were going through that and the shutdown and all that stuff. One of the things we've been fortunate enough that, you know, we've, you know, our business has pretty, pretty much consistently grown. And uh, I'm not saying we've never had a year that was less than the, uh, than the, the pre- previous year, but it, but it, it, was, it was statistically insignificant. The thing I do notice with our clients, it's about, you know, it's, it's money is never about math. It's always psychological. And you've got to think that for most people, that they've had great, that they have financial setbacks in their life. They they lose a job, they lose their big customer, the industry gets disrupted. Sometimes, sometimes through fault of their own. Sometimes, oftentimes through no fault of their own. How do you help coach people to get back on the saddle? Yeah, I mean, to me, any person that has had success in their life and lost it are much easier to coach than people that have never had success and want it. Um, you can't replace that desire. Obviously, you have to have desire. You just can't, you know, be um, someone who wishes it. You have to have the desire and put the work behind it. But people that have um, fallen off the horse, so to speak, as you described, um, they already know the success principles that were required to get where they were the first time. And if you can just get them to shift and, uh, you know, maybe you're doing an industry change or you're doing something synergistic to what you did before, but in a different format. It's easy. It's easy to put strategies behind that because all success principles in business are similar. Uh, so just following that strategy and uh, making sure that they follow through on the things that they need to do in order to get back where they were before. Yeah, I think that the the other thing I think is it's uh, I think the number one job of an entrepreneur or an entrepreneurial thinking person is they've got to protect their confidence. You know, meaning that that uh, you know, when you have that setback or you have that change of industry or you have a change of career or something that ultimately it's you've got to you know you've got to you've got to be you've got to protect the confidence because i think that oftentimes you have that you go to that uncertainty and where i think firms like ours and yours can can be so helpful is is to be there to you know to to make sure that uh, they've got that uh uh you know they've got that light in the you know that that uh, you know the, the beacon of light to be able to help them say hey no no you can get this done it's going to take time you know don't don't be so hard on yourself here's the things you need to do you know you got this and right. uh uh because you know you know so many people when they when they make that change i can't tell you you know how how sad it is to see somebody who was successful and to see them get knocked down and to see them stay down or never get yeah. back up to the previous heights. That that right. to me is a tragedy. And I think if they had, if, if we were able to help them protect their confidence or we were able to help them pr- pr- create a support system around them, uh, I think there's no reason why you why you why you couldn't have been successful. I think the you know the lessons of success you learn in life, sometimes people forget. I agree. 
I mean, they, they, they say sometimes descri- describing success is literally going from failure to failure without losing enthusiasm, right? Getting to the next thing, because you know, in order to get to success, you have to go through failure. So that's why I said it's sometimes easier to coach people that have already been there and lost it for whatever reason. Business went down, something happened, you know, loss of a partner, anything could have been, uh, you know, changes, contracts, lose a big client, any of those things. You can get back on the horse. You just follow the same success principles, right? You know what? It's funny. I feel like it's a therapy session because I haven't thought about this in 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 a long time. One of the like the seminal things in my life was uh, playing high school basketball. Meaning, mm-hmm. I got I got cut as a freshman. I was overweight. Got cut as a freshman. Thought I was a pretty good player, but I was overweight. And um, everybody, or a lot, most people make the freshman team. It doesn't you know they don't start really cutting down till you get to the JV or the the varsity. And I remember working as hard as I could to get in the best shape of my life and to not get outworked and made the JV team, you know, was, you know, I, I was the probably the 14th or 15th guy on a 15 man team. And, you know, I, I got in when, when we were down, up or down by 40 points with 30 seconds left, you know, and then we came the sixth man or seventh man as a junior and then started as a senior. And by the way, you know, we had one guy play in the NBA who was on our team. We had guys play pro baseball. We had guys, you know, won a national championship in, in football. So we were playing with some real athletes on our team. And so the idea the, the, the two things I took away from that is nothing's impossible if you're willing to work hard enough for it and you put the right strategies around it to do that. And it's something that I've just continued to go back to, to go back to and to go back to is that I needed to you have the right plan in place. And then I needed to make sure that nobody would outwork me. Um, nobody would outthink me and nobody would outwork me. And, you know, and, and I, I wound up being a pretty good high school basketball player, you know, obviously not, you know, you know, not, not NBA caliber. Uh, or, and I certainly, and I didn't play in college either, but it taught me two things. It taught me that, that I could get that. The other thing it also taught me is that it made me not competitive with other people. Meaning, you know, my goal was to be the best version of me so that I, like one of the things I'm proudest of that career is I, I feel like I got every ounce of my ability out on the court. Was that, did that allow me to be a, you know, do, to become a, you know, a, a five-star recruit to, to, you know, to to Duke or North Carolina or Indiana? No, it did not. But it allowed me to feel proud that I could be, I could then be happy for everybody else. Because if I became the best version of me and I got the most out of my ability, then I was happy for everybody else. So if I, you know, and and, and that's, that's in life. If I have a dollar and the dollar's the most I can have, if you're my friend, Murray, I hope you have $20. I hope you have $100. And, and, I, and I can then be a cheerleader for other people because I'm not competing with you. I'm competing with being the best version of me. I love that. I love that. And you know what? Your your success and the what you're you've been able to accomplish in your life, Mark, um, that rubs off on other people. And that strategy, that philosophy of you know, the more I have, the more abundance that I can provide for you. And if I can do my best, it can it can rub off on you. I think that makes a huge difference in people's lives, and that's why people want to be around you. I mean, you're just you're 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 a magnet to people that um, that feel that same uh, energy that you're you're putting out there. How can individuals or companies benefit from uh, the family business and you know and let's call it the Murray Miller's expertise and and empire? How, you know how how can people you know benefit from that? Yeah, I mean, for me, um, one of the things that I think that was um, a guiding light for me was when I was uh, getting out of high school, I came from a family that had very low means. My, I was brought up by a single mom. Uh, we didn't have enough money to send uh, any of the kids to college. So college was something that I wasn't able to uh, 
to do on, I had to do it on my own. So I was able to work a couple of different jobs and uh, put myself through community college and, and, and get a, uh, a degree that way. Um, so as I got older, I found that with the rising cost of college, um, there must be a way that I can help people uh, get their kids into college. So that's what was the guiding light to start my college funding business. And it turned into a huge business. I mean, it turned into a national company that I eventually sold. I had a three-year non-compete after I had sold the business, but I'm past that now. And so I'm back to helping people with uh, figuring out how they're going to plan and pay for college in the most tax-efficient manner and uh, with strategies that make sense without robbing from their retirement. That's one of my, uh, I guess that would be one of my uh, superpowers is helping people with their college funding and certainly with, uh, you know, residual income and retirement. I mean, that's uh, that everyone's concerned about it. No one has a deadline on it. No one has a set plan. Um, I should say most people, the vast majority of people don't have a set plan. They spend more time uh, budgeting for a vacation than they do budgeting for their future and retirement. So um, all of those things are areas that I can help people and and uh, continue to to help people, not just team members, um, but also uh, my coaching clients and people that come through the podcast that are looking to, for that. Um, we can we can help in those areas. Well, Maria, I I know how busy you are. I want to thank you so much for taking uh, time out of your busy day to to share your wisdom. And I think I, I heard a lot of wisdom today. Uh, not surprised. Just much gratitude for, for 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 you sharing. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on the show, Mark. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. Thank you, everybody. That closes another episode of the Hero of the Hour podcast with Murray Miller. I hope you enjoyed the episode today on the Hero of the Hour podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you are listening to this on. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share the podcast episode with them. You can catch the show notes for this episode and more at www.markbmurphy.com forward slash podcast. Be sure to check out the other great books and resources on the website while you're there. Once again, it's www.markbmurphy.com forward slash podcast. All links can be found in the description below. We look forward to serving you on the next episode. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by PAS or Guardian, and opinions stated are their own. Registered Representative and Financial Advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS. OSJ, 200 Broad Hollow Road, Suite 405, Melville, New York, 11747, 631-589-5400. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS, member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Northeast Private Client Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. California Insurance License Number 0B36048. Arkansas Insurance License Number 741545. Expiration and submission numbers located in the show notes.